Welcome to the Touring Plans Podcast. Welcome to the Touring Plans Podcast. I'm Angela Dahlgren here with my co-host, Brian McNichols. Hello. And it has been a while. I apologize. It's been about a month. Summer has been crazy. What can we say? Right, Brian? It has, it, I, as we started uh, talking about before we were recording, it has been one crazy summer, which then reminded me of the movie One Crazy Summer, which Angela is too young to remember. But I do know who John Cusack is, so yeah, I'm kind of with the times a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we reached out to you on social media asking for your questions. So today we're going to do your Instagram questions. We asked you guys on Instagram what questions you had, and we're going to answer those today. And our next episode will be answering your questions on Facebook. So let's get started. Our first question is by It's a Webbed World. I think this is Farah. I, I met you at Magic Kingdom. So Farah, <laughs> your question is, once you use your first three FastPass Plus reservations in Magic Kingdom, and then you hop to a different park, can you choose a FastPass for Tier 1 rides if they are available? Like if you're going to Epcot, Soren, Test Track, Frozen, or anything at Toy Story Land. Yes, you can. And she wanted to know, you know, if you are on your fourth fast pass and you complete that one can you make another tier 1 fast pass for your fifth one can you Brian Oh yeah yeah and you can make them at a, a different park so just brief explanation if if this sounds confusing you're allowed to make three fast passes in advance at one park so the example she uses is you make your three fast passes in the Magic Kingdom. At the other parks that are not the Magic Kingdom, there are tiers of fast pass. So, for instance, at Epcot, you are only allowed to pick one of Soren, Frozen, and Test Track for your initial fast passes, and then the other two have to be anything of of most of the other attractions. But after you use your three fast passes in, say, the Magic Kingdom, you are allowed to get a fourth, and after you use that, you're allowed to get a fifth and so on as long as there are available fast passes for that fourth and subsequent fast pass you can pick a different park so let's say your third fast pass at magic kingdom is for seven dwarves mine train as soon as you scan through to get in the fast pass line you can start looking on the my disney experience app at any of the parks and pick a fast pass for later and then it drops all tiers so for that fourth fast pass, if you find a fast pass for Flight of Passage at Animal Kingdom, and you can absolutely take that, go to Animal Kingdom. As soon as you use that, you can get a fast pass for Navi River Journey if that's available, even though they're in the same tier. All the rules fall away for that fourth one and beyond. And just as a tip, if you are staying at one park or if you're not, what I like to do, and I did this on my trip about a week ago, is I completed my three fast passes as soon as possible. I think I was done with my last one at about 1.30, and then I made my fourth and my fifth, and I probably could have fit in a sixth if I didn't want to watch the fireworks at Magic Kingdom that's happily ever after. And the park was open till 11 p.m., so I bet I could have fit in about seven fast pass plus reservations if I wanted to, if not eight. So the sooner you get them completed, you know, the sooner you can make more and get through a whole bunch. Yeah, that's why we generally recommend getting fast passes fairly early in the day, just because you can, especially a park like the Magic Kingdom, where there are a lot of attractions. A lot of times you can get Pirates of the Caribbean or Haunted Mansion or Jungle Cruise, things like that tend to be available 
for those additional fast passes in the afternoon? Yeah, so that was a really good question, Fair. Thank you for asking that one. We apparently had a lot to say on the matter. <laughs> I always have a lot to say. On Brian always has a lot to say, but apparently I did too today. <laughs> this next Instagram username. Go ahead, read the name. Yeah, I'm waiting for it. I knew Brian was going to make me say it. Okay, this next Instagram username is by Fart Barfunkel. His question is, is the Disneyland Fantasmic dining package worth it? This is one that I did research because I, I don't think Brian or I have done this dining package. Have you, Brian? No, I haven't. I actually haven't seen Fantasmic at Disneyland partially because the crowds get so crazy leading up to it. People will wait there, you know, an hour, two hours before like staking out their seats. And I just, I'm not down with that. So uh, I am actually curious about this too. Yeah, I did. I did research it. And there are three dining packages. There's one for Hungry Bear, with which is quick service, counter service. Mm-hmm. There's one for River Bell Terrace, which is more mid-priced. And then there's one for the Blue Bayou, which I hear is really good food, delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, from my research, people really, really enjoy the River Bell Terrace one mainly because of the, you know, it's mid-priced, so it's kind of middle of the road, not too expensive, not too cheap. And the viewing experience, I guess you are situated in the same viewing location as the Blue Bayou. And from what I've read, people do not like the viewing for Hungry Bear. So Mm -hmm. yes, it is worth it if you are doing Blue Bayou or River Bell Terrace, but people overall really like the River Bell Terrace. That makes sense because it's the lower price version in the same viewing area. Uh, yeah, and I think because of, like I said, people do really stake out their spots early for Fantasmic in Disneyland. So I would guess it's probably worth it for the most part too, just because you don't have to. Now you can also get a fast pass for Fantasmic there. And I don't know what the viewing area is like for that, but that would be a way to do it without having to pay for the, the meal. But yeah, they, I've been thinking about something like like the Fantasmic Dining Package when I'm in, in Disneyland in October. So uh, maybe we will have to try it out and see. Well, and off the top of my head, I could be wrong, but I want to say it was like $45 or something, which I don't think is completely terrible. So I mean, if that's something you want to splurge on, and from the pictures I saw, it's, it's a very good view. And the mm-hmm. review that I read, the person was shorter and they still had a great view. Yeah. And I mean, you've got to figure you're paying, you still have to eat. So, you know, it's it's not that $45 is just going to be on top of whatever you are going to spend for that meal anyway. Exactly. And the food is good to boot with, I think, yeah. dessert as well. All right. Going with that, this next question is a really good one for Brian because he actually has firsthand experience with this. This is from Tom Lennon. We have pre-opening breakfast reservations at Be Our Guest the same morning as an extra morning magic event. Will we be able to ride some of the rides as well? How do they distinguish between the event ticket holders and the breakfast guests? We are hoping to ride Seven Doors Mind Train before the masses. Is this possible? One, you know, Tom Lennon, I don't know if it's the same one, but if so, I love your work on the state. Another thing that Angela probably doesn't remember, although he's been in and written a lot of stuff since. No uh, idea. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've done, I've actually done the pre-rope drop breakfast at Cinderella Royal Table, but same basic thing. And I've done the early morning magic. So we'll start with how they distinguish. Basically, if the, the event ticket holders get a wristband in addition to their magic band so that the cast members at the front of the queues can let them in. 
to answer your question, no, you won't be able to get on the rides before park opening, but you will be able to get on them before the general public gets there. The way they do it is especially Seven Doors Mine Train. The only attractions that are open for early morning magic are Seven Doors Mine Train, Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh and Peter Pan, and sometimes the Carousel, or I've heard occasionally like It's a Small World, stuff like that. So what happens is a lot of people from the dining reservations want to ride Seven Doors Mine Train. So there actually is a kind of a secondary queue that forms that they will line up everybody from the dining reservations waiting and they will let them in first, like kind of as they're walking everyone over from the hub, they will let all those people with the dining reservations in the line first. So they will still be able to ride quicker than the others. They, they get there ahead of time. And actually, I just had an email question recently asking the same thing about Peter Pan. And I didn't notice any sort of cue for that, but I would imagine it's the same thing. I bet if you go up and just tell the cast member, hey, I'm just waiting to ride this as soon as like early morning magic is done. I'm sure they'll just say like, as it gets close, like, okay, come on in. You know, I don't think that would be a problem. Now, if you do the dining reservation on a day that there is not early morning magic, then yes, most of the time you do get to ride early. When we did it, it was right about 845 for a a 9am opening that they started allowing people to ride to Seven Dwarves Mine Train. We rode it three times in a row before the park technically even opened. It was pretty great. But uh, in this case, you'll get you'll get one ride in, but not any more than that, unless you want to go back and wait in a line that will probably be, you know, 40 minutes by that point. All right. Next question is by N. Timson 79. Just how bad is the heat in late September? Comparable to May or June, or is it more like July or August? Tips to survive and enjoying the heat? So I don't think that the heat in late September is near as bad as July or August. It's still hot in early September, but it really starts to cool down towards the end. It's still, I guess, hot, but it's not near as humid as it was. I kind of feel the although most of the time I've been there, I guess it's been in earlier September. But I, I feel like the humidity does stick around into into September and they still will get like the afternoon thunderstorms and things like that. But no, it's not. I, I agree with you though. It is not as bad as like July and August. And there's nothing quite like July and August in, in central Florida, I think. I always felt like September was kind of sticky, but it wasn't that punch in the face heat that you get in the summer. Not quite as nice as like May would be. But yeah, better than than the summer. So what, Angela, what would you recommend for how to still enjoy it, even despite hot weather? My first tip would be to bring a water bottle that you can refill whenever you see a drinking fountain. I was just there in July, and this is what we did every single time. Bring a refillable water bottle, fill it up whenever you see a drinking fountain. You'll save money this way, and it'll keep you hydrated. And also, if you have time in your touring plan, pick a few hours in the afternoon where you can either relax, you know, at your hotel, go swim in a pool, go to a lounge, or just, you know, do those indoor rides where you can get off your feet and stay out of the sun for a while. You Mm -hmm. wouldn't believe how much that kind of just like rejuvenizes you and gets you ready for, you know, the night shift at the parks. 
Yeah, no, I agree with both of those. I actually have filtered water bottles. I think the ones I have right now are Brita ones, but they, a couple different companies sell them. And they're just squeeze water bottles, but they have a little filter at the top. And I use those too, because I'm always a little bit paranoid about just public drinking water, but they're great to carry around. And the brakes are indispensable when it is hot. Even if it's just small ones, I'm actually planning because I'm going down there to shoot some videos for our YouTube page in, well, both August and September. But the August trip, especially, it's going to be very hot Mm -hmm. and I am going to be very sweaty and red-faced in all of those videos. So you'll be able to pick them out pretty easy. (laughs) But even those, every couple hours, I'm just plotting something in there that is just a 30 minute break that is just to go and sit at a restaurant or a bar or go on a a ride or walk through the shops for 20 minutes just in the air conditioning. You you do, you need to plan that stuff in because if you, what will happen, it will get to one o'clock and you'll be feeling good and you're like, you know what, never mind. Mm -hmm. Let's just keep going. We don't need to go back to the hotel. And then by four o'clock, everyone is miserable and you you end up going back to the hotel at like 6 p.m. because no, everyone won't stop crying or at least I won't. So um, don't pass those breaks by. No, don't be the martyr. We were at Magic Kingdom, what, at 8 a.m. And we ended up going over to the Polynesian and we spent two or three hours there. And we just, you could see our energy lift and our spirits lift. And by the time we went back to Magic Kingdom, it was just great. It was a great rest of the evening. We had the energy to last till the fireworks and we weren't super crabby for that ride back, you know, on the monorail and to the parking lot and back to our hotel. It's just, it was very manageable. And finally, the more obvious tips we have is to reapply your sunscreen, wear breathable clothing, tank tops, t-shirts, shorts, and finally sunglasses. Morgan May I asks, can you do a fancy signature meal on a budget? The Brown Derby seems to have options that aren't much more than, say, sci-fi dine-in theater. So there are a few ways that you can do signature dining on a budget. Probably the most popular one is to just share your meal between two people or just to dine on appetizers instead of entrees. You know, we've definitely done that. You know, just pick a few appetizers that look good. You could definitely get full off of that. And really, what my family likes to do is... If we're not really hungry for dinner and it's early, like four o'clock, we tend to go to the lounges at the deluxe resorts and just dine on the food there. What am I thinking of? The Ale and Compass Lounge at the Yacht Club, they have a lot of good food there. So we'll get a drink, share a couple of the appetizers there or the meals there. They have a really good, I think it's like a cob or a chopped salad. And that's what we'll have. And it's at a deluxe restaurant at a really fancy lounge and we really enjoy our meal. So overall, you can share an entree, dine on appetizers, or eat at a lounge. Brian, do you have any other ideas? Yeah, I would say almost always lunch is cheaper than dinner. So that's an option. I would check out on touringplans.com for all the the Disney meals. We have menus with all the prices, everything. So I would glance at it because you're right. I mean, there are are items that aren't that much more expensive than non-signature restaurants. And Angel, I like what, what you said there about the lounge. There's almost all of the signature restaurants have a bar attached. So especially if it's adults or older children or something that wouldn't be awkward that with, with that, like you can just sit at the bar. I've 
most of the time you can get the full menu, but I do kind of what you said and just get appetizers. I do that a lot when I'm traveling for research purposes because I don't have time necessarily to eat an hour meal. Um, so, I mean, I've eaten at the, the bar at Gico at Animal Kingdom has a, has, has a nice bar. Citrico's at the Grand Floridian. Narcusi's at the Grand Floridian. California Grill has one, but it's they don't like people going up there unless they have a reservation. So that one's a little trickier. Artist Point, they have the Territory Lounge Bar right next to it that's good. And you can get some, I don't know if there are menu items specifically from Artist Point. But yeah, there are definitely ways that you can eat signature meals or at signature places that aren't going to cost you all that much more than some of the other meals at at Disney. You know, another thing I noticed is that Disney will randomly have promotions for either Florida locals or annual pass holders that will just do these month-long 20% off on certain restaurants throughout the resort. So keep a lookout for those as well. We will usually have those promoted in our weekly previews. So yeah, keep a lookout for that too. Kay Shelvis asks, do you have half-day touring recommendations for families with toddlers, including Radiator Springs? What park is best for a half-day evening? So I assume that you're talking about Disneyland, but we will talk about Walt Disney World as well. And with a subscription to our website, touringplans.com, we have so many touring plans for touring with small children, and that subscription is $14.95, by the way. Uh, the half-day ones would be listed as late arrivals late arrival touring plans. And I would suggest looking through those to see mm-hmm. which one would fit best for your family. Otherwise, when it comes to which park would be good for a half day evening, you can't really go wrong with Magic Kingdom when it comes to the kids. There's so many great rides for little ones. I think if you're at Disney World, I think you, you would probably have to plan you know, half day evening around like if there was a fireworks event you wanted to see. All the parks now have different nighttime spectaculars. So if there's one that you want to see more than the other, it probably makes sense to go there. Mm-hmm. Say you only have a couple of days and your, your, your arrival day, you're getting there and the park you go to, you won't go to again at, at World, then I would say Hollywood Studios because you can do all of the rides and a show or two in an evening there because there's not that much to do right now. For Disneyland, that's tricky. You're never going to see everything at Disneyland in a half day, no matter when it is, or honestly, a full day. If you so California Adventure, you would be able to do the higher percentage of the park, and you could do you know Raider Springs Racers, Soarin', Incredicoaster, things like that in an evening if you you really wanted to. So I would say probably that. If you have like, you know, say three and a half days or something at Disneyland, mm-hmm. Disneyland is always, park is always nice. Although they do get a lot of locals going there in the evening. So it gets a little bit busier some days. So, you know, I think it, a lot of it depends on how long a trip you will have and what your plan is. So if you're going to one single park for a half day, that makes a difference versus if you are doing that park in an evening and another full day kind of thing. Well, and if you're looking at our plans and you're listening to our advice, and if none of these fit your needs, you can always create your own personalized touring plan. And we have a video on our YouTube channel showing you how to do this that we'll link in the show notes. Abby Robin W. says, My holiday is exactly 60 days away. Our Fast Pass Plus reservations are booked today. Animal Kingdom is scheduled to close at 8.30, but says Rivers of Light will start at 8.45. 
Is this a sign park hours will be extended or does this happen? It could be either. It does have, they, they do, will do that. Uh, Hollywood Studios used to do it with Fantasmic a lot too, although they haven't as much lately. They will absolutely start Rivers of Light after the park closes. It tends to make Rivers of Light a little bit busier because it's literally the only thing left to do in the park. So you either leave or you see Rivers of Light. But there is also a chance that the park hours will be extended till maybe 9 or 9.30. If you're 60 days away, that means you're probably looking at you know early September. So we won't really know the final park hours until probably mid-August. So I would definitely check back, you know, at the end of August, a week or two before your trip and make sure, you know, you know what the hours are, but it it could go either way. Brian, when does Disney tend to solidify their park hours? About two weeks before the start of a month. So like we are recording this, you know, right about in uh, mid-July. So any day now they will update all of their hours for August, if they if they do within a week or two of the start of a month, they don't tend to change them very much. So that's why we always say within like a week or two of your trip, you're you're pretty you're going to be pretty good on on hours. But they could change them anytime up until then. Okay, KK Samayam says in September we couldn't get a fast pass for Slinky Dog Dash. Is it worth rope dropping for the ride? I also don't want to waste the first hour of park opening if it's going to be like Flight of Passage. Thank you. I would say yes, and I bet Brian would too. It's not going to be a Flight of Passage situation because honestly, we have not seen anywhere near the crowds of Flight of Passage for Toy Story Land in general, have we? No, and and the the wait times are already dry. I mean, the Toy Story Land has been open legitimately two weeks today, I believe, and the wait times are already dropping pretty substantially. This morning, it is it is about a, a little after eleven a.m. Eastern when we're recording this. Right now, the posted time is seventy minutes at Slinky Dog Dash. It did go up as high as ninety at ten a.m. That was. That was a result of all the people that, that kind of came in at 9, probably. But at 9.30, it was 60 minutes. It's just not posting the weights that it was for its first week. Last night, this would have been a Thursday night, at you know 7 p.m., it was posting you know 45-minute waits and things. So it's, it's not that big a deal, honestly. So you can definitely, I would definitely say rope drop that one. Mm-hmm. It's not going to hurt, you know, like Magic Kingdom, Disney's Hollywood Studios, you can get in an hour before the park actually opens. So it wouldn't hurt to do so. And then, you know, you can just get through security, go to Starbucks and get breakfast and a coffee, and then rope drop for Slinky Dog Dash and then mm-hmm. do whatever you want the rest of the day and maybe go back to your hotel around lunchtime afternoon. Yeah. And right now they're still, the crowd is still going to Slinky Dog, but even by September, I bet that starts to go down. I bet people will start to go elsewhere or you'll be able to get fast passes a little bit later for that possibly too. All right. Jewel9977 says, I'd like to rent Disney Vacation Club points for either the Beach Club or the Polynesian for our next trip. Any suggestions would be appreciated. All right, so if you're wondering who you would rent from, uh, there are several sites that rent out DVC points. Two that are more notable tend to be either David's Rentals. Uh, I see some people use dvc-rental.com. 
Brian, do you have any other suggestions beyond that? No, I've used, uh, the only one I've personally used is David's Vacation Club Rentals, which is, it's dvcrequest.com is his website. But if you just search David's DVC, you'll find it. And I've used him two or three times and always had a perfectly fine experience. Obviously, it, it depends on availability. But you basically tell them what you want. They tell you if that's available. And if it is, you have to pay in full like when you make the reservation and it is, I believe, non-refundable. So you have to make sure <laughs> that you you are, are definitely going. But we I've never had any problem. They just send you the link, you you link it in your My Disney experience and you're done. So um I, I know that like you said, the other ones I've heard good things about too. So Yeah. That's basically how you go about doing it. But yeah, you do have to put a lot of the money up up front or all of it. So just be aware of that. I did a good amount of research for this question. And those two sites, a lot of people recommended the most and everyone had a good experience. So that's why I suggested those two. And it does save you a lot of money from what I've read. And you get Mm -hmm. more room and usually a washer and dryer or for sure washer and dryer in your room, which I have definitely used. I think the last time we used it, we got a Savannah View, just a studio Savannah View at Animal Kingdom Lodge. Now that doesn't have the washer dryer in the room because it's a studio, but it ended up being cheaper than a moderate resort was at the, I think it was, I think it might've been like September. So like the, the rates were a little lower, but yeah, it was, or maybe around the same price as like a moderate room would have been depending on the time of year and everything. It can be quite a bit cheaper. And it really works both ways. It works for the renter because they save money and it works for the DVC member because it helps them pay their dues. Well, you have to pay. I forget what the rate is and I just closed the site, but it's a certain dollar amount per point because the DVCs go off of points. Mm -hmm. So the person who is renting them, I believe, actually tends to make a little bit extra on it. And of course, then there's a couple dollar premium on it for the website that is is putting it all together. So yeah, it's actually beneficial for everyone. Yeah, it works out. Our final question today is by Jay Rigotti. Why doesn't Disney release attendance numbers? What's your favorite resort? And is it fun working for a Disney-oriented company or does it sort of dull the magic? The first question, why doesn't Disney release attendance numbers? I mean, that one, we, we don't really know. My assumption is that it is probably, they don't want anyone to know if attendance is falling. You know, they answer to a lot of shareholders. So this way they can kind of shape the data in the way they want. Obviously, they mm-hmm. can't flat out lie, They're, you know, about it technically. And, and it's, you know, it is a competition. They are competing with other theme parks and things. So nobody releases official attendance numbers. It's just a, a thing that they don't like to do, but it would definitely help us a lot if they did. Although right. it might make our crowd calendar a little more moot if everybody just knew how many people were in the park on any yeah. given day. So, okay. Brian, what's your favorite resort? I have a, a two-part answer to this as I, I tend to. Oh, wait, if, can I um, guess? Can I guess? Of course. Okay. I think that your favorite deluxe resort is the Polynesian. That is true. That is my overall favorite resort if I am not paying for it, is the <laughs> Polynesian. Taking everything into account, including cost. Uh, I like. I really like Port Orleans French Quarter, honestly. I love the the jazz and the New Orleans look and that it is 
like half the price or less of someplace like the Polynesian. So Mm -hmm. while it is not as convenient and there's not as many amenities when I'm going with my family and we're looking to, to not spend you know, many thousands of dollars on a room, we tend to, to gravitate towards French Quarter. That's my favorite modder as well. Brian, can you guess my favorite deluxe? Um, Brian's like, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm I, gonna, I, I'm just, I was going to say, I'm just guessing here, but I'm going to guess Beach Club. Oh my gosh. It is. Yeah, that would probably be my second favorite, actually. I like for two two reasons for me. Uh, the pool is amazing and it's so close to Epcot. So... It was the boardwalk for the longest time. And, you know, it's still kind of a tie. But when it comes to the beach club, I just like the rooms better. And that's what it comes down to. Like if we're talking about the resort, I like the rooms better at the beach club. I love the boardwalk because it's on the boardwalk and it's more exciting. But yeah, overall, the resort of the beach club is what I like better. Boardwalk is one of the few resorts left that I haven't stayed in, actually. Uh, I keep... I keep trying, but it just hasn't worked out. But see, I also, I mean, I, I don't live very far away from the New Jersey boardwalk, which I had family there. So we used to go there all the time. So the boardwalk itself just reminds me of that, which isn't always a good thing. Yeah. So Well, we're going to have to see if my mind changes back to the boardwalk once I stay in a refurbished room, because the last time I stayed there, you know, the rooms really needed to be updated. So we'll see if that goes back to my number one. Who knows? Yeah. And then final question, is it fun working for a Disney-oriented company or does it sort of dull the magic? I'm curious to hear your answer for this because I was never the, the exactly the type of pixie-dusted uh, person that loved Disney. I love to travel in general, um, Disney or not. So, um, But I know you, you are, in general, a bigger Disney fan than I am. So I'm curious to hear what you think. No, it's very fun. I, I do feel like it's kind of like, it's kind of like working. It's like a dream job in a way. You know, we get to go to Disney World to work. Like, who does that happen to? For, you know, who gets to do that? That's It's very fun. Does it dull the magic? No, not really. It doesn't dull the magic. I guess going on the same rides over and over at some point, I guess, you know, you're like, okay, I kind of know what to expect. But part of that for me, it's not so much going on the same rides. It's watching the ride throughs with my kids on the TV, just because they want to watch It's a Small World over and over and over and over. So that gets dull, but not going on the ride itself, if that makes sense. So working for the for a Disney-oriented company, that doesn't dull the magic. It's more like watching the ride throughs with mm-hmm. the kids. No. Yeah, and, and I can see that. Actually, I, I would I would probably say my my kids are what has kept me from from being pretty over it, I think. Like any any job. I've been I've been working for touring plans now for over seven years, I think. So like any job, you do something long enough and, and it just, it starts to feel a little bit more like work, but I will say, I, like I said, I love to travel. So, um, the fact that I do get to travel and I get to review hotels and which is something I've always wanted to do and things like that, I I will never literally never get tired of. And the specific Disney magic when I am there with my family then it, I do feel a lot more of that, like through my my kids, because while they go many, much more than most kids probably do, they still aren't there with me all the time. So when I'm there for work, when I'm shooting videos, when I'm doing reviews, things like that, it does. It, it tends to feel more like work. I tend I don't usually go on the rides. I don't do all that kind of stuff. But then when I'm there with my family, it it still feels like a Disney vacation, which is nice. 
And if you really want to know if it does the magic, honestly, watch our YouTube videos because I know there's a Christmas video of Brian singing as he's walking around. And then my last video, I'm so excited. There are moments where I'm either crying or almost crying. So we are definitely, whether or not we're working at Disney or just walking around with our family, we still really enjoy the magic and we love what we do. So that was a great question. Thank you for asking. And that's all we have for today. So if you have any more questions, you can always ask them on Twitter using the hashtag TPPod, T-P-P-O-D, or you can reach us on Facebook and Instagram. That's just touring plans. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Touring Plans Podcast. More money-saving episodes on the way. In the meantime, plan your perfect trip at touringplans.com.